Hello, and welcome to Converge, now available on Google Podcasts. My name is Casey Newton. I'm the Silicon Valley editor of The Verge. And today on Converge, I'm going toe-to-toe with Mike Maples Jr. You know, we've had CEOs and product wizards step into the Converge chair before. And maybe you've asked yourself, where are these people getting all of their money? Because it sure seems like they've got a lot of money, don't they? Well, listen, Mike is the answer to that question, or at least one of the answers. He's the co-founder of Floodgate Capital, and he routinely appears on Forbes' Midas list, which is a list of people who turn things to gold by touching them. No big deal. Mike invested in companies including Twitch, the live streaming site that sold Amazon for a billion dollars, Weebly, a web design company that just sold a Square for a bunch of money, and Okta, an enterprise company. And if I told you what they did, it is so boring, you would fall into a deep slumber and never awaken. But one of Mike's earliest successful investments was Twitter, a company I'm personally obsessed with. And Mike and I talk a lot about Twitter on this episode. So if you're a Twitter head, keep listening. You know, I wanted to have a venture capitalist on this show because I find what they do to be oddly mysterious, right? They they meet with companies that have barely been able to rent a garage. They take a look at a handful of presentation slides, and then they spend a lot of someone else's money in the hopes that it will turn into the most money that anyone has ever seen. And a handful of them have actually been able to do this successfully. And Mike Maples, if you ask other VCs, they will tell you that he is more successful than most. I like talking to Mike because it let me do something I've always wanted to do, which was pitch a venture capitalist something. In the wildcard round of this episode, Mike asks me to pitch him Twitter using only the information that was available when he invested back around 2005. This turns out to be an insanely difficult thing to do, Maybe you would have done a better job and you can tell me about that if you would. But you know what? It's also a very good time. And so I'm excited to introduce you to Mike Maples Jr. because it is time to play Converge. Hello and welcome to another episode of Converge, the game show that is easy to win but not impossible to lose. Each week, of course, we bring on some of Silicon Valley's most fascinating personalities, and they compete to see how high they can go on the all-time Converge leaderboard. My guest today is Mike Maples Jr., partner and co-founder, founder really, of Floodgate Capital, an early investor in companies including Twitter, Twitch, Okta, Cruise, and Weebly, which just got bought for $365 million by Square. Mike is also a high-ranking member of the Forbes Midas list, which is a list of people who can turn things to gold simply by touching them. Mike, thank you for joining us. I won't touch you. (laughs) Please don't touch me. I have a lot going on later tonight. Uh, Mike, is this your first time on a game show or have you uh, been on before? It is, I I confess. It's my first game show ever. You know what? I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And if it's not, just raise your hand and we'll stop. (laughs) Actually, that's not an option. All right. So, of course, Converge consists of three rounds, the big idea, the interview round, and the wildcard round. And now it's time to get started. The first game we play on every episode of Converge is the big idea. Mike, I asked you ahead of time to bring me your biggest and best idea of a non-self-promotional nature, and we'll pick it apart and see what's inside. Points are awarded on the basis of originality, presentation, profit potential, and whether I personally agree with it. So, Mike, what is your big idea? My big idea right now is the problem of fake growth in Silicon Valley. Fake growth. Yes. So we talk about fake news in politics, but I think that fake growth has become as toxic and endemic to our ecosystem as fake news has in the media business. And uh, I think that fake growth hurts founders more than anybody because it causes them to labor uh, on a company 
that often ends up being not worth a lot after many, many years of effort. So I've started a company, and I'm uh, I've let's say I've I've made an app, and I've instrumented it with all sorts of metrics, and I'm getting the the data back. What what tells me that my company is really growing, and what are some of these signs of fake growth that you are you're seeing in the the entrepreneurs you're talking with? Yeah. So to me, real growth defined is growth that adds true value to the business and the customer. And so if you step back and say, why should a startup ever lose money? The reason is that they're taking that money and the the belief is that more value can be created, that a category can be won by spending money, investing money now to, to win that category in the future. But when we lose money, we need to be creating commensurate value or else the money lost isn't justified. Well, the problem with fake growth is a mindset of money is easy to get, so if I can raise it, I might as well go fast and spend it. And, you know, if food was free, that doesn't mean I should eat more food. That doesn't mean I'd be better off. Uh, I'd be in worse shape. And many of these companies suffer from the same kind of predicament. So, the idea here is companies go out and maybe try to buy customers using all of the millions of dollars you've given them. And they think, if I can just buy enough customers, I'm going to find a business in here somewhere, but they don't actually find the business. Yeah. Or they they engage in what I sometimes call vanity-based revenue chasing. So, rather, I like to think of real growth as accumulating attractive customers or users. And part of fake growth is, oh, I need to impress my VC in the next board meeting, and so I need to show that I made the numbers any way I can. And so what ends up happening is if you chase unattractive customers uh, to get their revenue in the short term, they're more likely to go away in the long term. They're more likely to ask for features in the product that don't really add to your strategy or your business. And so in the end, I think that having discipline and integrity about who your customers are and how you're going to grow and yes, it's okay to lose money, but we're losing money because we're being sort of long-term greedy in the value that we create. That's what we really look for. But what's happening today too often is people are assuming money is free, and as long as the numbers look up and to the right, it's all good. Right. And that just isn't true. Now, you know, some people say I'm the most attractive customer they've ever had, but that's just personal <laughs> to me. You know, what you have me thinking about right now is one of my favorite businesses that I assume will be dead within 12 months, which is MoviePass. Okay. I don't know if MoviePass was on your mind. If you're not familiar with MoviePass, the idea is you pay an absurdly low amount of money and they change it all the time. But, you know, uh-huh. recently it's been as low as I think $8 a month. And the idea is you can see a movie a day anywhere around you at a movie theater and again, you paid $8 a month for this privilege. And this is a publicly traded company. So this is sort of outside the realm of venture capital. But I think a lot of people would accuse them of having fake growth, that that essentially they are buying uh, customers in an unsustainable way. And eventually they're going to burn through that cash pile and they're dead. So like, is that the kind of company that you're talking about? Well, I don't know enough about their business to say um, in their defense, based on what you just told me, when I think about movie theaters, it's a high fixed cost, low variable cost business, right? So once the movie starts, you can never fill that seat again that you didn't fill. And so when you have a business like that, the airline business is like this too, the cost of filling that seat is almost zero variable cost. And so if you have a business that fills the seats in the theater, fills the seats in the planes, sometimes you can charge what seems to be really low prices, but because the marginal cost of them serving that customer's low, it could work. 
the problem, I think, of businesses like that is you train your customers to always look for discounts. Right. And so that would be what I'd, I'd worry less about them and more worried about just the theater business in general. Well, this is what the movie theaters are terrified about, that they're going to sort of train a generation of moviegoers that, you know, that you're never paying effectively more than 60 cents to see a movie. And that if and when MoviePass goes belly up, people aren't going to want to go back to those theaters. Yeah. Or it reminds me a little bit of the Groupon. Uh, And Groupon did okay, but part of the problem that Groupon had was that they would – They'd bring a bunch of customers to business, but they weren't sustainable, attractive customers. Right. And they, you know, they trained customers to act not so well towards the businesses. Right. Now, I've I've read enough medium blog posts by venture capitalists to know that when you talk about attractive customers, you're talking about metrics like the cost of acquiring the customer and the total lifetime value of a customer and yep. sort of trying to make those numbers square and then creating intricate formulas and, and sort of charts and graphs. Is, is that how you go about figuring out what's what's really growing? Well, to me, that's what happens after you did it right, right? So to me, metrics like that are lagging indicators of success. But what I, what I really like are startups that say, here are the places that were 10 times better, and here are the people out there who, if they knew what my advantage were, they'd be irrational not to buy. And so sell what we have, where we have 10x advantages, to people who who feel like it's a must-have feature, sell just that to only them over and over again. And uh, companies that do that, generally the metrics take care of themselves because if you have something that only you can deliver that delights people that they value, then you, you can make a really good business out of it. But what happens too often is the founders or the company or the investors want to just get revenue any way they can. And and then and then they show up at board meetings later as distant critics and say, hey, your metrics don't look good. And it's like, well, no kidding, your metrics don't look good. We've got a bunch of customers all over the place that don't make sense. Right. So let's name names. Like, who had a fake okay. growth business? So I, I can name a few that flamed out just in 2017 alone. Let's hear right? them. So Sprig, the high valuation was $169 million in April of 2015. They went out of business in 2017 after having burned through $59 million. Which uh, is a, a lot of money. And if you weren't familiar with Sprig, I'm not sure how widely they distributed, but it was an app that you could use to order uh, food right to your door. So it was, a, it was a meal delivery app, and the quality of the food varied. The, the price was like probably in the $14, $15 range for, for a lunch or dinner. And I have to say, for a lot of Silicon Valley journalists, we relied heavily on yeah, Sprig. Yeah, it's like, hey, you know, thanks, Sand Hill Road, for that meal. It was, that, it was that a nice subject. Yeah, but it, I think it's an um, interesting case to pick apart because as a customer, I'm thinking I gave you fifteen dollars for a salad. Like it feels like the economics of that could work. So, like what what was the the fake part of that? Do you think? Well, I think that a lot of these companies where they run into problems. And by the way, Sprig is a you know Lux blew through seventy five million dollars, which was a, a, like a, the, a company the, that would park your car you, for park you, park your car yeah. for you, right? And so in March of 2016, they raised money at one sixty million dollar valuation. And then a year later, they're out of business, blowing through seven. Yik Yak blew through seventy-five million. After uh, Juicero blew through one hundred twenty-one million. Everyone's favorite Silicon Valley, and, and they were worth almost five hundred million dollars in March of twenty sixteen. You know, BP blew through one hundred fifty million after being worth uh, five hundred sixty-four million. It was like a used in, car marketplace yeah, in two thousand fifteen. You know, Quixie blew through one thirty-five million. 
and was worth $600 million in March of 2015. And I couldn't even tell money. you what they did. Do you know what they it, did? I, I can't remember. Uh, did they do like, anything? Was it just a website? They, well, they consumed capital. but they but, <laughs> Maybe it was uh, just like a landing page but, that people gave money to. But so here, so here is where I think companies run into problems. I think that companies go through a life cycle of value creation and growth. So when a company starts out, it has to go from zero to one before it goes from one to X, right? And right. and so like in zero to one, you've got an uncertain product and an uncertain customer, and you have to find something that's awesome that they've never seen before that they fall in love with. Okay, can I pause you there? Because I've heard this term before, go from zero to one. And I, I know yeah. what zero is, but I'm not sure what one is. So like, one, what counts as one? Yeah, one is customers start to say to you, where have you been all my life, startup? Uh, not only do I want what you're selling me, but I've got 10 ideas that I've been waiting for someone to show up and tell about. I'm and trying then those... to get people to say that about this yeah. podcast. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like you're on a pretty good start. We're, we're, we're doing try, the best I'll try we not can. To screw that up for you today. <laughs> but, uh, but, but so to me, zero to one is about getting to product market fit. And what the so when you're in zero to one mode, you have to endure the scar tissue and the muscle memory to know what creates the truth of your value. Because if if your product is truly valuable, then scaling the business becomes about telling the truth to more people rather than throwing money at the problem of persuading people to buy your stuff. And so what a lot of companies try to do is they go try to go straight to the end game of growing super fast, and they don't even know what's valued by the customer yet. They don't know how to reach the customer. They don't know why they would really buy this. And so they... They throw money at that, hoping to uh, overcome that issue. But the other thing that we've found is that going from zero to one can be a hugely variable amount of time. So Twitch, a company I was involved with, it took them almost five years before – they were Justin.TV for five years before Justin TV Games took off, and we realized that that was the company. Lyft started out as Zimride, and so – you can't rush zero to one. What what you need to do is be hawkish on burn, but patient for time. But then once once you have product market fit, then paradoxically, you want to 10x your business in a very predictable amount of time. Because now you've kind of found the winning recipe and you want you want to satisfy the market completely. And so the other place where we've seen fake growth happen is company goes from zero to one. Everybody's like, you guys are awesome. Here's some more money, right? And then they go right off the rails because they they do their second product too soon. They go after their second market too soon. They're not really sure why their first product was a hit, and so now all of a sudden we're doing ten things not well and spending a lot of money doing it. And so ironically, one to X, if if zero to one is Earth, one to X is like Mars, and you got to be like Mark Watney and science it like crazy, right? And and it's like you're trying to you're trying to understand the levers and knobs and dials that are going to let you get you copy the thing that works over and over again super fast. So for the people who are listening to this to sort of boil it down, is there as they're looking at whatever spreadsheets they're working on, whatever the people who are listening to this are trying to grow right now, what is your message to them to to make sure that it's not actually fake what they're looking at? Yeah, I'd say that growth is a real growth is a combination of ambition and acceptance. Hmm. And if you're going to say I'm in one to X growth mode, you have to be 10 Xing your company to justify the capital that you're burning. If you're not able to do that, that's okay. But then you probably should be trying profitable growth or something other than 
you know, value creation that isn't happening. And so where the, the biggest unfortunate value creation strategy for too many companies is what I call the denial strategy. Mm -hmm. uh, the company's burning capital, but not growing fast enough relative to the capital they're consuming. And when that happens, uh, eventually the company isn't worth the money it raised. Right. And then the then the founders are just dependent on the generosity of VCs in terms of how much they're going to give them when the acquisition happens. And VCs aren't always so generous. With what that. I'm hearing you say is don't buy customers until they're profitable, or like don't buy a lot of them until they're profitable on like an individual basis. Or don't. Uh, I like to say hack value before you hack growth. And it's whenever I see a company and they and we're not making the numbers and somebody says we need a growth hacker, I'm like, no, we need a value proposition. Hmm. And there's there's no point in adding growth resources to a value proposition that hasn't been achieved. So for like Twitch, what was the value proposition that made it different from Justin TV? Well, I, I think that just people really liked collaborating kind of in their game playing activities. And it just it surprised maybe the Twitch guys would would recount it differently. But I don't think that it was a premeditated discovery. Right. Yeah. I think it just it's like, wow, this is taking off. Let's understand why. Hmm. Maybe that's the company. Right. And, you know, sometimes that happens. But where I give the Twitch founders a lot of credit is they survived five years to have that discovery. And most most startups would have spent too much money too soon, felt the pressure to grow super fast, and run out of money before the, the discovery ever happened. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the big idea round. There's a lot in there to chew on. Uh, I hope the people who listen to this go back home and look in the mirror and ask themselves whether they're a big phony today. Just say no to fake growth. Don't be fake, people. That's the big message today. Now, Mike, it is time to score your idea. Originality is where we start, and I'm going to give you a solid seven points. Okay. I would say I've heard elements of that before, but never delivered quite in the same way. Presentation, I also have to give you a seven. I liked your use of colloquial terms along with VC terms. You gave me a little bit of that folksy Texanness okay. that you is is bred in you. Profit potential, here's where you're going to come out gangbusters. I'm giving you a 10 because literally your entire idea was profit potential. That's like where – that was the whole idea. That's the objective function. <laughs> yeah, so you you, you really uh, – you you hacked the format, if so you that, So it's kind of like an artistic impression. I didn't do quite as well as on technical merit. <laughs> but yeah, technical yeah, merit yeah. was very good. Okay. And then finally, do I agree with it? Here I'm going to give you an 8. Now, I know what you're saying. Why not a 10? Here's why. Again, it's because some of these fake businesses create real value in my life. When Sprig was around, <laughs> I could get a meal at a VC discount, and that's good for me. Okay, so, that's fair. So, uh, you know, I agree with it mostly but not all the way that is an extremely solid score and now i'm going to total it up 32 points in the first round a very good showing for mike maples and with that we're going to head into the interview round the round mike where you attempt to charm our listeners in a way that burnishes your personal brand and improves your deal flow uh, so, Mike, you are a venture capitalist, and you're the first VC to come on Converge, so thank okay. you. Yep. Uh, and I think many of our listeners are going to know the basics of being a VC. You take other people's money, you turn it into more money. Uh, and I think some people from the outside think, eh, does you know, is that really that hard? Uh, and then other people, they think, well, how do I know if some business that I've spent very little time with is actually going to make money? So what I want to know is, do you have a consistent approach when you're meeting with all these companies, or is it does it just vary from founder to founder to founder? Well, I would say that I'm a very emotional investor, and so I I basically believe that 
great startups are a rare event and kind of magical and that it's kind of a 0.1% outcome. So about 10,000 companies get started a year and 10 of them create 95% of the value in the industry. That's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, it's just almost hard to even get your mind around it, right? And so I call those 0.1% founders the prime movers. And I, I believe it's my job to help the prime movers to invest in them before the rest of the world believes, before there's product market fit, before there's a parade to jump in front of. And so I'm a little bit more of a co-conspirator than an investor. Uh, <laughs> I'm not very much buy low, sell high. I just think that these prime movers that bring abundance to the world deserve and need special help early on because the rest of the world is usually pretty skeptical. You know, Lyft encountered resistance legally even to operate. People said Twitter, stupid, 140 characters or less. And so I find that a lot of these really good ideas, they're so powerful that they encounter a lot of resistance because they change people's point of view. And so my, my job is to find those prime movers before the rest of the world believes. And if, if I find them, the numbers just kind of take care of themselves. Sure. Is there a difference between that and guessing? And like, if so, like, what is the difference? Yeah. So I think that if you if you tried to index all 10,000 companies, you'd lose money, right? So throwing a dart at the wall uh, doesn't usually work. And so you could argue that we've just had a few good guesses along the way, and you could probably argue that and win. We've had enough hits that it would suggest that we've had some picking skill. But, you know, who knows, right? Maybe we'll never have another one. But I do I do believe that startups – are trying to change something in a very fundamental and exponential way. And a lot of startups are good ideas, but they're just not exponentially powerful enough to bring about the kind of change that you'd need to be one of those 0.1% special right. companies. So I like to use Twitter as an example because I'm obsessed with Twitter, as sure. all journalists are. Uh, yes. And I read that you invested $25,000 in Twitter and that by 2006, that investment was worth 26 times what you paid. Yeah, more. Yeah, And, and, and probably yeah. more eventually, uh, or yeah. even more then. Now, when you invested, was it still Odeo? Was it still the podcasting company? Well, so I invested in Odeo, and uh, it didn't work out. And at the very end, Evan Williams said, you know, we've had some kind of uh, discussions back and forth with the investors. I've just decided to give everybody their money back. And so I said, I, you know, I don't think you owe me anything. It, it, venture capital has, you know, it, adventure is in there. And so, you know, I just, you win some, you lose some. So he said, well, this is just kind of how we need to do it. And I said, well, I, I'd really like to invest in whatever your next thing is. I, I'm not sure I even care what it is. And what, what got you to that point? You're just like, well, I like I, Ed Williams? It, well, you know, I just thought it was very honorable the way he'd approached it. And, um, you know, sometimes it's not the founder that failed. It's just the business side it didn't work. And and uh, as an investor, it's really important to separate that. And so, so Ev says, well, we're working on something, and I, I don't really know what it's going to turn into, but we're either going to call it voicemail 2.0 or – TWTTR. <laughs> and um, and I'm like, well, what, is it, what does it do? And he says, well, you say what you're doing. Wait, you didn't have a good guess from voicemail 2.0 what it did? No, no okay. idea. Yeah, and right. and so, so you say what you're doing, and it's like, well, then what happens? <laughs> uh, oh, in 140 characters or less. And I was like, what does it do after that? And he said, that's it. That's all it does. <laughs> and I was like, well, uh, is there a revenue model? He said, no what's the product, what's the roadmap? There is no roadmap. <laughs> and I was like, well, Ev, you know, why do you, why do you even think this is a product, much less a company? And he says, I, I have no idea. 
but if but my 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 view is that if um if a million people did blogs when I did blogger maybe 10 million people would do microblogs and if if that happened I think that the burden of proof would be on the people who are negative and so so I was like great well when you decide if you decide to do this thing let me know I'd like to invest and then it took off and at south by it blew up and it started to become a thing. And one day he calls me and says, did you mean it when you said that um, you would like to invest? Because if that's if, if so, now is the time. And so at the time, uh, it was a $20 million valuation, which seemed, you know, pretty high. <laughs> right. And so I was like, I'm not sure what I got myself into here. <laughs> but, you know, it ended up being worth more than $20 billion, yeah. right? And so uh, it ended up working out great. Right. Yeah. And now is is that a case where like you felt like like you had uh you you sort of had like a worldview and instincts to, that led you to make that particular investment or is that one where you sort of said, "Well, eh, like I don't know what's going to happen here, but like what the heck." Well, I like to make fun of venture capitalists who act as if they knew more than they did. <laughs> I think that that um actually I think part of if any success I've had that's due to what are thinking about it is that I don't get over preoccupied with what the business is right now because I pretty much know it's going to change. And I like to make fun of people who are too confident in their knowledge about how things are going to happen or how things did happen. Right. And so to me, the these exponential outcomes happen when you have great founders with very specific and deep domain knowledge of some major new shift that's even bigger than the company. And Twitter happened because... Everybody was getting connected. Everything was getting mobile. The web was kind of going through this new phase of not just being a place to go visit pages, but becoming a platform to connect people. And they just were right place, right time, right product. Yeah. And then the other thing, this is harder to describe, and it's not going to sound very VC-like, but some of these projects just have a magic to them. And uh, you just get a chill for what this could be. And just Twitter in the early days, just felt like a, a really powerful idea. It was a simple but powerful. But, you know, one time I heard Quincy Jones say, you don't plan for Thriller, right, Michael Jackson. Hmm. There's almost there's almost an element of serendipity and just timing and just hitting the zeitgeist just right at the time. And Twitter had all of that magic to it. Yeah, Twitter was Twitter was one of those. So yeah. so I want to know like a little bit more about how you are approaching your job day to day. I know some VCs who go to eight, 10 coffee meetings a day and say no to everyone, but then they say, let me know how I can be helpful. Like, is that what you do? Or is there another way, way to be a VC that isn't just like constantly being pitched? Well, we, I get pitched a lot. Yeah. I get probably at least my share. But I look always looked at it as a people flow business and not a deal flow business. And so I always thought, okay, I'm going to find areas that I'm interested in. And at the time that I met Ev, it was, I was interested in what what the time was called Web 2.0. And I was just like, I'm just going to go meet the 100 smartest people in that area. You know, right now I'm doing some of that in crypto and a few other areas. But I've always had faith that if you just find the smartest people and spend time with them and try to be helpful, that the dots will sort of forward connect and the deals reveal themselves but i've never i've never thought of it as like a funnel where you know some people say i'm going to i'm going to look at 100 pitches in the next 2 weeks and i'm going to pick one company i never look at it that way i i look at it like i'm doing a good job if i spend my day with awesome people every hour of the day 
and then hopefully one reveals itself and they'll let me be part of it. Right. So you're talking you're talking to awesome crypto people. I would love to know where you're at emotionally with crypto right now. How on board are you? Have you made a crypto investment yet? We have. Yeah. yeah. And, and um I'm um I believe that probably we'll see corrections ahead and things like that, but I don't also I'm a believer because I'm not a believer in the next 3 to 5 years. I believe it will happen. And whether it takes five years or 15 years, it doesn't really matter to me. Uh, I just want to find, crash or no crash, who's going to be the Jeff Bezos of crypto? Who's going to be the Larry Page? Who's going to be the the eBay of it? And so, I, you know, I think that, that there will be long-term huge opportunities. And I just think that the abundance that, that – um, tokens and some of these ideas could bring to the world is just extraordinary. Right. But still probably a bad idea to uh, take out a mortgage to buy Bitcoin. Well, I, I mean, I, I ne- wouldn't necessarily advise it, but uh, hey, everybody's it's free free country. That's that's true. Yeah. God bless America. Yeah, God bless America. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So last venture capital question. You know, one thing I've been asking guests on the show is what will enable more women to start companies. Uh, and the thing I hear most consistently is to put more women on the cap table, which is to say have more women investors. You have two partners who are women now. Yeah, I believe two out of four. Two out yeah. of four, uh, including your co-founder. Uh, the information. Ranks you 14 out of 72 on its diversity index, so I would say relatively high up there. How do you evaluate your progress in making Silicon Valley more diverse, and, and what else do you think needs to be done? Yeah, so so it's it's interesting. When I started this, uh, I I was getting pitched by a lot of founders, and I was noticing that a lot of the founders that I talked to were not traditional VC backed founders. A lot of women, African Americans, uh, f- folks of all colors, and creeds and and uh, genders and I was like why is that and and my my belief is that when you no longer have to raise five million dollars to start a company anybody can raise their hand and declare themselves an entrepreneur and it used to be you know you had to be validated by the people with five million dollar checks to write and because it was no going to cost you that much to like build a server farm to power your business now people just go to AWS that's right and when it when it costs five million dollars to start a company, the capital markets have a lot more power in deciding who who a founder is and who who one isn't. And so I started to think about it, and I was like, you know, this isn't just about the fact that you're going to have lean startups, and it's not just that 500,000 is the new 5 million, but innovation itself is about to become democratized. And what we need to do is, is embrace that trend and play offense with respect to it. And so that's why it was so important to start this with Anne. And so I thought, well, if, if we were gender diverse from day one, we would operate as a gender diverse firm and not have to kind of retrofit it after the fact. We don't talk about it that much publicly because we think that the best way to make a statement is to just win. And if if we win and if other firms say, you know, how are we going to compete with Floodgate? Because like Leah Buskey of TaskRabbit, she's going to walk into that place and she's going to look at those partners and say, these are my kind of peeps. And if you believe that there's going to be more Diane Greens, if you believe that there's going to be more Heather Bruners like at WP Engine, uh, and if you believe that innovation is going to be democratized, I'd like to play offense and and uh, just win. And then uh, that's, I think, how you get more women in the business is to say, I don't think we can win without operating that way. And so so that's, that's what we try really hard to do. Um, and so far, I think it's it's really been helpful in terms of how we evaluate investments, how we treat each other in meetings, how we just how, how just we, we operate as a firm. Yeah. Well, that's a nice hopeful note to end the interview round on. Let's- 
But if you heard that noise, that means it's time for the lightning round. Okay. Oh, boy. In the lightning round, your job is to answer as many questions as you can in 60 seconds. You are allowed to pass, but should you do so, you will forfeit the question. I should say it's relatively rare to pass on any of these questions. Oh, boy. Okay. But let's put 60 seconds on the clock. What is your favorite trait in an entrepreneur? Persistence and vision. I only asked for one, but I will accept that answer. Hint, water, or LaCroix? Hint. Preferred flavor? Berry. How many pitches do you get a week? Uh, That I take meetings with or just come in? That just come in? About 100. uh, What's something that should definitely be on the blockchain? (laughs) Um... Speed. Speed. I'm going to assume you mean methamphetamines. Do you care about virtual reality? Yes. Is AI overhyped, underhyped, or appropriately hyped? Appropriately hyped. You invested in Weebly and Chegg. Why didn't you convince them to change their names to something respectable? Because they worked. Uh, Is there the last show you finished on Netflix? I can't think of one. Last good book you read? Oh, gosh. Um, Last good book. You got five seconds left. Super forecasters. If Google Duplex calls you, do you think you should let it know that it's a bot? No. Time expired. That answer doesn't count. All right. Oh. Ten questions means ten <laughs> points. No. We'll put ten more points on the board. Actually, a very good showing in the lightning round <laughs> as well. And now it's time for the wild card round. In the wild card round, we reach into the Convergitron 5000 to play a game generated by some of the world's most sophisticated algorithms. Earlier today, we selected RetroPitch, and this will be the first time RetroPitch has been played outside the VergeCast, where some of you may have heard uh, me play that game with Neelai Patel and Paul Miller as a tease to this very podcast. Now, in RetroPitch, Mike, you will draw from a deck of cards to select an idea that is obvious only in hindsight. Your job will be to convince me a stupid and recalcitrant person to move forward with your idea. I will evaluate your answers on originality, presentation, profit potential, and whether I personally agree with them. Then the tables will turn, and you will present me with an idea that is obvious in retrospect to pitch, evaluating me under the same rubric. Do you have any questions? Let's do this. All right. Very well. I invite you to choose one of these cards. Amazon Prime. All right. So now I want you to imagine we're in a world where Amazon Prime does not exist. Uh, maybe we're at some sort of all-purpose retailer, and I would like you to convince me you that know, it's as time a, to— You know, as an aside, yeah. uh, some people who are threatened with stalkers or, like, people chasing them and stuff— do not join witness protection programs because they would have to lose their Amazon Prime uh, uh, subscription. That's amazing. It's, that, that is that's really product something. market fit right that there. Is pro- like that's product zero market to fit. one. That's like zero to one to infinity. Zero to one hundred. Yeah. All right. Anyhow. So this was a, yeah. So in, in retrospect, we can agree this was a good idea. But let's pretend we lived in a world where it didn't happen. How would you convince me to build this thing? People buy a lot of stuff. I'm with you so far. Amazon sells people stuff. Mm-hmm. Amazon would like to sell people more stuff. If we give people a reason to have loyalty points when they buy all of their stuff from us, they'll buy more stuff from us. Sort so of like how if you go to like Subway, you can fill up one of those cards with stamps and at the end you get a free right. but, sub. But this would be like the Subway card, but for everything. Whoa, that's a lot. All right. So how is this thing going to What is this thing even? What well, am I? Yeah, what am I signing you, up for here, you, Maples? Yeah, you're just. It's 
easiest thing you ever did. Okay. Like you're already using Amazon and now we sign you up for Prime and as you buy more things, you just get more you just get more stuff from Amazon. Maybe what, free what are we going to give away? This sounds very expensive. What are we giving away to people? Oh, probably books and you know the the great thing is a lot of the things that you give away will be digital. You can give free downloads to maybe movies someday or music or are all we kinds gonna, of cool wait, stuff. Wait, hold on, yeah. Naples. We're going to have the bandwidth to be giving away movies. and I, Totally. I mean, but think about how expensive it is to stream a movie over the 28.8 modems that most of our customers have right now. Yeah, but, but the amount of money that we'll save and the amount of money that we'll make by taking the cognitive load of decisions about where to buy stuff from customers will outweigh that. So we want customers to, to say, I buy everything on Amazon mm-hmm. and have that be the default choice. And if if they know that uh, they get paid in these loyalty points, uh, the, we can call it Prime for now. If, if you guys have a better name, we'd name it something other than Prime. But I I, I've always thought it name. should be called Amazon Extreme. Yeah, you think? Well, but, but I, just I mean, like a big X. I mean, if you prove the project, you know, I guess we could uh, have that discussion. But I, but I do think Prime is good, and you know, we've tested it on some customers, and they they kind of like it. Interesting. I think now, it's got legs. Now, I want to ask if you've described to me all of the features that you think should be available at Amazon Prime at launch because the what you say will factor into your score. Well, I think that what we have to do is figure out the 10x, you know, WTF thing that we would offer that would cause people en masse to sign up for it. Exactly. Do you have a thought on what that thing would be? Um, I don't. All right. Sorry. That's fair. No, that's a fair. I respect that you gave me an honest answer to that yeah. question. Any last things you want to say to pitch me Amazon Prime? A project that I'm probably going to reject because it sounds very expensive. Yeah. Well, you know, Amazon as a business has uh, done a lot of things that seemed expensive at first, but were long-term the right answer. And I think this is, you know, on the path of the way they do their business. And I think it's a strategic fit for how Amazon works as a company. And I just think that Amazon has to keep pushing ahead and keep playing offense. Very good. All right. So now it is your turn to turn the tables on me and give me an idea. And then I get to pitch the master. And then you can tell me why I am dumb. So let's hear it, Maples. Twitter. Pitch Twitter. Okay. (laughs) This is a particularly good one because... Uh, it really took me a long time to understand the the value of Twitter. I created an account, um, and before I start pitching, I will say the the moment I realized what I liked about Twitter, it was when I was at a concert and I could use a, a feature in the API that would show me tweets around me, and I could see what people who were saying at the very concert that I was at, which which I thought was very cool. All right, so I'm going to pitch you Twitter. Okay, Mike. So you have a cool you you have one of these cool new mobile phones, right? You're a yep. mover and a shaker. You start yep. companies, so you probably have a, a, a Motorola Razor. Yeah. Something like that. Yep. And you have a lot of friends, loved ones around the world all day, every day. You're asking one question, what are they doing? Right. But if you were to send them text messages or call them, one, that would eat up a lot of data. And two, you're a busy man. Yeah, I don't really send text messages from my Motorola Razor. It's yeah, a pain. Right? Why would I mean, you, it's right? It's terrible. Like, you, it's just a keyboard. Like It doesn't even have keys. Like It's just numbers. Right. You had to, you, you had to learn T9, that, that, that language that is yeah, now I dead. Still, I, yeah, I never, yeah, I don't know it. So, that, so you don't want to do that. But no. what if I could compose a text message and I could send it to one phone number and then all of my friends could get that text message, and then they would know that I was making a sandwich, 
uh, going to see a movie, and then boom, I've instantly connected with people. People feel closer to me. You know, it's like it's like an away message from from AIM, but evolved. Is this like a this is a business idea you have here? This is definitely a business idea okay. because yeah, how's it how's that a business? Eventually, marketers are going to pay me to tell you about what products I'm using to make my ham sandwiches. If I'm going to see a movie, hey, maybe Warner Brothers wants to get in on that action, and I say, you know, I'm going to see Black Panther, and Warner Brothers is like, what about? Wonder Woman, if they okay. even own that IP, which I don't so, know. So who's on this Twitter thing right now? So right now we've got um, about 14 people who live within a five-block radius in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And we're all people. friends. Okay. And we love to text each other all day. And frankly, I mean, when you extrapolate out over five years – Texting features on phones are only going to get better, so we could maybe bring in some new fonts. You have to assume that emoji are going to improve over the years. What's an emoji? Oh, I'm sorry. So, uh, like little th- little hier- hieroglyphics that uh, the, the Japanese love. Never heard of. They're going to come to America and they're going to change the way that we tell each other, "I love and you." I'm gonna and I'm going to do mad. that from a razor. You're going to do that from your razor. <laughs> And and I okay so so you're gonna <laughs> your fourteen people are gonna be a big market for these ads that yep yeah yeah it's definitely an ad business or uh-huh. maybe eventually we do call it Twitter Prime where you could get free shipping on all your texts maybe do a carrier plan and, and like what what's the next product after <sighs> this that's great oh okay here's what the next product is ephemeral text messages. So I don't know if you've ever had like a text message that was on your phone that you wish would go away and you sort of forget to delete it. What if I could sort of send you texts throughout the day and you could view them for 24 hours, uh, but then they would disappear at the end and it would sort of help you feel more comfortable sharing your real moments. That sounds like a different company to me. (sighs) It does. Yeah, Yeah. it sounds like a different company, but I don't know. I want there to be a connection in there somehow. (laughs) So in conclusion... Text messaging about my life updates with an eventual advertising business, and I think texting is going to get better over time. That's okay, that is great. all I can see. And at in the, the meantime, moment of it costs birth. money to send these texts. It costs us money. It's gonna yeah, we're definitely okay. gonna have to subsidize the text messages. You know, just till this thing gets off the ground, just till we're able to get out of San Francisco into like San Mateo, people. San Rafael. Yeah. You know, some of the outlying regions. Okay. Once we're out of Soma, we're gonna go crazy. That's when okay. this thing goes gangbusters. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So that would be my idea. Okay. For Twitter. Okay. I think it could really change the way people talk. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Boom. All right. There it was. Uh, that was very fun to do because what I love about that game is it you it forces you to put yourself in the mindset of someone who can't see the future. And you just realize how nothing that happened seemed remotely obvious, at least not to me, you yeah. know, back then. Yep. Uh, one of the reasons Twitter is like my favorite thing to, to write about and I spend so much time on it is that it is such an unlikely story, right? Yeah, and it's it, it's one of those things too that I find this tricky as an investor. It's hard to even remember how it really happened, <laughs> right. right? Like you don't even you tend to remember it as you were smarter than you really were to do the thing. And you know there were probably times within the first eighteen months if you'd told me I could have even my money back, I might have taken it. And <laughs> right. so it just it's the the part of what's so challenging about being a startup investor is. Even remembering what you knew and went at the time, because it's just life has a way of making you remember things differently. Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. With that, it is time to go with the scores. Okay. So let's dig right in. Originality. Now, this is something we're still sort of designing this game. I don't know how I'm supposed to evaluate the originality of an idea that is not actually an original idea. So I think I pretty much just give everyone a seven on this and then move on to the next one. So I did think you had some original thinking in there. It's kind of like a mandatory bonus. A little bit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Your options vested. So you got a seven for originality. Presentation. You know, you know what's something I like about you, Mike? And I should say, this is my first chance getting to meet you. you. You seem like a very unflappable person which as an investor I would uh, appreciate because I'm a sort of very excitable person uh, who sort of always thinks that things are about to go very badly. Uh, but you were able to, to sort of allay my fears in a way that I respected. So I'm going to give you an eight on that. Profit potential. Now, here's where I have to ding you some points. Because yeah, I you got did, you. I got you. That's you didn't fair. mention the one thing I was waiting for you to say, which was free two-day shipping. Oh no, that's good. That's so, good. and that but you would yeah. you would have dinged me for profits because you would have said that hey, that costs more money. That's very yeah. true, but I think but we can agree right. that over the long term, it was the two day shipping that got us all to join Prime, which wound up being the source of all the profits. Right? Yeah, I think that's right. So I'm giving you a that's six fair. on that. I know that sounds harsh. I know that sounds harsh, but you know, somebody's you know, already it's, accused it's me. It's fair. I get to as a VC, I get to say no to plans all day long. So if you want to give me a six, it's I think it's fair justice. Finally, do I agree with the pitch. Uh, of course I agree with it. How could you How could you not want Amazon Prime to exist? Something else I've realized now is I need to completely, I need to pick new scoring categories for this game because it was too easy to win. But we're going to add up these points, Mike, for the wildcard round. You earned 15, 21, 30 points. Amazing. Now it is your chance to judge me and, you know, be merciless. I'm a grown-up. I can take it. Uh, what would you give me for originality? I think it was pretty original, to be honest. I would not have pitched Twitter that way, nor did I anticipate that you would. Well, you are a smart man who has made a lot of money, so so, I would hope you would not pitch it that way. I would give you, I guess, an eight on originality because, yeah, it was unexpected. I'll take it. How about presentation? How did I come across? Um, well, yeah, I mean, this could have been a little better, maybe. That's fine. Give it to me, maybe. Um, five? Five. Great. Okay. And uh, profit potential? Uh, boy, <laughs> not so good. Sorry. Uh, three. Three. That sounds yeah. that sounds fair. And then finally, do you do you personally agree with it? Um, this is an interesting one for you because yeah, you did actually invest like, in this it, company. And at the, yeah, and at the time, everybody's saying, "Why would you invest in such a stupid idea?" You know, 140 <laughs> characters or less. You talk about you're going to the bathroom and stuff like that, and on this crazy thing. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a ten. I yes. think that, yeah, I, All I, right. I believe. I believe. <laughs> Very good. So now we move into the final scoring round. Mike, I now have for us our final scores. In this game of Converge, I earned 26 points, and you earned 72 points, which makes you the definitive winner of today's episode of Converge. Congratulations. Uh, how was this for you? This this was awesome. Way better than I deserved. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you for coming in. Uh, I appreciate the perspective, and uh, I invite you to come back anytime and participate in our Tournament of Champions, which might be something we do if we make it to like season three or something. Uh, and with that, Mike Maples, thank you for making content with me. All right, thanks so much. 
That's today's show. My thanks to guest Mike Maples for both appearing on the show and for investing in Twitter, giving my industry a place to hang out during the day while our editors are ignoring us. Mike, you may have defeated me today, but I studied your ways, and if I ever start a company, I will offer you insulting terms at a ridiculous valuation. Thanks, as always, to my engineer, Jeremy Domus and my editor, Andrew Marino. If you like today's show, it would mean a lot to me if you explained to your grandparents what podcasts are. That helps people find us. How's this show going so far? I want to hear from you or your investors. Email me, Casey at TheVerge.com. I'm at Casey Newton on Twitter, and you can tweet about the show using the hashtag Benghazi. If you want even more of me in your life, I write a daily newsletter about social networks and democracy called The Interface, and you can find a link at my Twitter bio. And until next time, the Convergitron 5000 is closed. Game over.